1: That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games.
0: Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to The People's Podcast. I was honest.
1: Was I brutally honest? Yes.
0: But I think that that's the problem. Everybody's so scared to be honest with one another. This is JSC Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Hey now. My name is Jay Scott Smith. Your ears are not deceiving you, and this is the 90th episode of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. How the hell's everyone doing? To answer the questions that you're asking of me, I'm doing all right. I'm surviving. That's pretty much been the way I've been answering a lot of people the last three, four, five months. Now, I'm not going to run and I'm not going to hide from things. I owe you guys an apology. Those of you who are loyal subscribers, loyal listeners, loyal supporters of the show, the people who support me and have supported my work, I owe you an apology. Now you're probably wondering, Jay, why the f- do you owe us an apology? Because I haven't been consistent with you guys, and I haven't been upfront with you guys about what's been going on with me until recently. Yes, the uh, the the tales of my demise were slightly exaggerated. I'm still here, but it has been a um, it it has been a very difficult road to hoe. I've made reference to it throughout this year, throughout the podcast episodes this year. Somehow I've been able to do at least one episode every month, even though normally it would be closer to three or four is what I would prefer. But this has been professionally and personally one of the worst years of my life. Everything I had damn near at the start of this year is gone. Now, I still have a roof over my head. I'm not on the street, thankfully. And I owe so much of that to so many of you. I've, I've worked multiple jobs this year. I've had to do a lot of side gigs. And I've gotten some substantial help from some amazing people who've had my back from start to finish. And people I haven't had to question their, their loyalty or question whether they had my back. If anything, I was questioning whether or not I deserved it. Things have gone so far left over the last three months that everything got thrown off. Case in point, this is episode 90. I did episode 85 back on September 12th. The idea was that episode 90 was going to have dropped off on y'all sometime in either late October or early November. Here we are in early December, damn near mid-December, two weeks away from Christmas, and here I am with episode 90. Things have been so inside out, things have been so brutal, so terrible, so wacky, so unstable that I haven't been able to focus on too much of anything. I've gotten you four episodes since then. We should be creeping up on 100 right now, but that likely is not going to happen until at least February, maybe, but who knows? Maybe it'll hit around the time of the anniversary and it'll be perfectly symmetrical, but that's a little bit further down the road. I owe that apology to you guys for not being consistent because you guys support the hell out of me. You love this show. And I've been trying to give you everything I possibly can give. But this has been a year. This year has been a dumpster fire. Those of you who follow me on social media, I'm at J. Scott Smith, jaysco 2 T's S M I T H. If you follow me on Instagram, it's at J. Scott Smith. Same thing, jaysco 2 S M I T H. By the way, I am verified on the the Twitter machine. I am verified on Facebook. I am not verified on Instagram, and I don't understand why I am not verified on Instagram, but whatever the case may be. The show's also, by the way, on Twitter, at JSC Radio. I want to thank you all for supporting me across all the different podcast platforms. All of them. I list them off all the time, from SoundCloud to Stitcher, from iTunes, to Audio Boom, to Google Play, to iHeartRadio and Spotify and Radio Public and the TuneIn app and Player FM and every other, and of course, SoundCloud.com slash JSC Radio, the original home. Original. The original home. I owe y'all for supporting me across all those different platforms. I support you in what you do, and I thank you. For sticking by my sorry, no account, falling on my face in 2018 ass. I'm not here to make any grand pronouncements for 2019 because this isn't the last episode of this year. I'll I'll get to that on the back end at the end of this. I mentioned this is episode 90. This episode was supposed to have aired at least six weeks ago. But we're at episode 90 now. And I have a guest for this show. It was an episode that I had planned out in advance. It's an interview that I did with a really good friend of mine who's an amazing woman, an awesome doctor, and has an incredible story. And I got a chance to talk to her back at the end of September. And her name is Dr. Jennifer Caudill. We're going to talk about health. We're going to talk about her story coming up in Iowa. Iowa. That's right. Iowa a black doctor from Iowa. I know two people from, who were born in Iowa, Dr. Jennifer Caudill and, and my friend Kendall Alexander. Those are the only two black people I know born in the state of Iowa. But but Dr. Caudill talked to me in late September. We talked about everything from her coming up in Iowa to what drew her to medicine to what being a black doctor really means. It's similar to what being a black journalist means. And also, we got a chance to talk about Her going from being in beauty pageants and how she turned being in beauty pageants into the money she needed to go to medical school. And plus, we talk about health, which through this entire run of this year, my health has been another thing. My physical health, my mental health. I lost a job earlier this year before I was supposed to get surgery on my foot. Lost my insurance. My mental health has been wavering this year. You go through the type of year I went through in terms of employment. You go through the type of year that I went through in terms of personal issues, the type of year I've gone through with every possible roadblock and piece of bullshit thrown in my direction with all the stress, with all the fear, with all the anxiety. I know I have not been the best to anyone. And I owe y'all and everybody who's been important to me, such a deep debt of gratitude. Those of you who stuck by me, I owe you such a deep debt of gratitude because I probably didn't deserve it. But you, you've been there. And I want to thank you for that. I want to thank guys like Doc Gillingsworth, who provides the soundtrack for this show. I want to thank dudes like Awesome Jones, who... Normally would have done the intro song for this show. He'll be back next week because, yes, we're we're getting back to some sort of semi-regular schedule with this thing as much as I can pull it off. I want to thank those of you top to bottom who support this show. You support the show on Patreon or on one of your favorite podcast providers. I want to thank everybody this year who's done interviews with me. The year in review is going to be something else, by the way. I'm telling you that. And just for those of y'all who supported me and had my back and helped me through this difficult time and the ones I've never had to look over my shoulder and question whether you guys had my back or not. I never had to wonder if you were there or if you weren't. I never had to wonder if you were faking it or if you were real. I never had to wonder if I could count on somebody. And there ain't been many of you, but those of you know who you are, and I thank you so much for that. For those of you who support this show, support me, support my work, support the work of my people, shout out to Detroit City, big up to my man, Will Ketchum, and his brother, John. Big ups to cities of Detroit and Philadelphia, shout out to my fam in Atlanta, big up to my people in the Midwest, all over the place, Chicago, too, of course. I wouldn't be this. I wouldn't be here, and I wouldn't have... And I haven't pulled all the way through it, by the way. Shit is still kind of tenuous, but it's better now than it than it had been even two, three weeks ago. But I thank you so much for all your support and for having my back and for bearing with me and for, and for getting my back when it was deepest and darkest. Shouts out to the brothers of Phi Beta Sigma fraternity incorporated y'all can't see me throwing the mob up but i appreciate y'all brothers a ton a ton so many of you had my back and i am uh i'm grateful for that but the podcast is back damn it and i wanted to make sure i got this message off to you because we're going to finish this year out and hopefully when we get into 2019 the karma will start to turn in the other direction my name is Jay Scott Smith, and coming up after this, I have yet another illustrious guest on this podcast as we will change up the mood, change up the attitude, talk about our health, and talk about the amazing story surrounding your favorite quote unquote TV doctor. That's Dr. Jennifer Caudill. You are listening to the 90th episode, Episodio Nonenta, I didn't even think I could count that high in Spanish. The 90th episode of The People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. And we'll be back after this. You're listening to The People's Podcast. Have you ever been unemployed? Were you nervous, now? All right. Man. This is JSC Radio.
1: You got a king? Go fish, dad. Oh, come on. (laughs) This is WWE superstar Titus O'Neil. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council.
0: Hey now, it's Jay Scott Smith here, the host of JSC Radio, which you can now hear on Stitcher Radio. That's right, Stitcher is radio on demand. Now, you can download the free app today, and it's available on iOS, Android, as well as Nook and Kindle Fire. You can take JSC Radio anywhere. The app is free. You can listen anytime, anywhere. Now, if you're wondering what Stitcher is, Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all of your favorite shows, plus discover 40,000 news, entertainment, and sports shows such as JSC Radio you can create a custom playlists you can rate and review this show and others on stitcher please drop a friendly review on the show not only is stitcher available on all smartphones and tablets it's also in over four million card dashboards it's on demand and on the go no downloading no syncing no wasted memory on any of your devices you can string your favorite podcasts like jsc radio for free on stitcher if you don't have the stitcher app simple Go to Stitcher.com today or check out the App Store on whichever device you use. Stitcher Radio, be sure to check it out. You're listening to The People's Podcast.
1: What do you do if you forget a lyric? I keep stepping.
0: This is JSC
1: Radio. All right, now, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you guys because soda, well, you gave it up. Because of the sugar and then you gave up dyed soda because of the artificial sweeteners sounds good but you are still gaining weight i hear it all the time you're craving sweets and the bloats making your jeans feel tight so i want you to listen up because there are many hidden sweeteners in places you've never even thought to look like right in here that's right packaged whole wheat sliced bread, English muffins. Now, these are the things I'm worried about today. Dr. Jennifer Caudle is here to investigate this with us because I don't want you guys getting misled. She's gonna explain why hidden sweeteners in packaged whole wheat bread products are a problem. So whole wheat, I mean, I thought that was going to be great. Why are they an issue?
2: Well, so this is the thing. A lot of consumers, from a consumer's point of view, you go to the grocery store, you want to be healthy, so you get whole wheat bread. And when we took a look, you know, interestingly enough, we took some. We took a look at some packaged uh, English muffins. We also have whole wheat bread here that was packaged. All of these that we looked at had added sweeteners. It's a big deal.
1: Give me some details here because I'm yeah. surprised because we've always been saying that whole wheat bread was better for everybody. Well, That's the part that, that frustrates me. Is people actually are hearing the message they're doing what they think is best, right. and they're still tripping and falling, and it's not their fault.
2: Well, and I think that's the thing is, I think it's about being informed, right? Being an informed consumer. So when we talk about added sweeteners here, we've got our added sweeteners. These are some of the things that we might find in bread and that we have. We've got honey, we've got agave, we've got, um, you know, molasses, we've got brown sugar. This is not necessarily bad, but they're added sweeteners, and that's what we have to know about. Now, the other thing is some of these products actually have zero calorie sweeteners.
1: And it's not just the sugar in the bread or the artificial sweetener. There's right. other things that bread makes you do.
2: Well, that's true, and, and that's something I think about, too. The think, think about breakfast, right? I pull out an English muffin, and what do I do? Is I smear some jam or jelly on it. So not only am I getting the artificial sweeteners here or the added sugar, but I may be getting that also with the jam or jelly I'm putting on. We have to keep that in mind. It may be more than we ever thought we were receiving.
0: This is the 90th episode, another landmark, the 90th episode of The People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Welcome back. J. Scott Smith here. Shout out to my man, of course, Doc Illingsworth, who produces the soundtrack for this podcast. Hit him up on the Twitter machine, at Illingsworth. He's also on YouTube as well, where he does a lot of video gameplays. Especially a lot of tech and be sure to check that out on YouTube. Follow my man, of course, Holla at Detroit City. He's a part of the three-man super group Detroit City. Shout out to them as well they continue to show love. I want to big up everybody who listens across all the podcast providers, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, on SoundCloud and Stitcher, on Google Play and TuneIn, on Audio Boom, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Player FM, Radio Public, and anywhere else you get your damn podcast. I want to tell you to support the Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash JSC Radio to get in on the ground floors. 2019 promises to be a whole hell of a lot better than what we had going on in 2018. I'll tell you that much. And I want to thank all of y'all who continue to support me across social media. That's at Jscottsmith. J-A-Y-S-C-O two T's. S-M-I-T-H. The voice you heard there was from the brilliant Dr. Jennifer Caudle, As I mentioned in the first segment, we taped this interview back in late September, as originally episode 90 was slated to happen a lot sooner than it is. But, you know, we're still going to do it as we're about to do it right now. And a little background here. She is not just a doctor you see on TV. Dr. Jennifer Caudle, I met her for the first time at a Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists meeting about a year and a half ago. She's an absolutely delightful woman, wonderful woman, gorgeous woman. She walks in the room, she carries herself with this presence to her that she's all business. But she's one of the genuinely nicest people that I've met here since I've come to Philadelphia and she's just a great human being. And I had the opportunity to talk to her very briefly at another job I temporarily held earlier this year, but we had to actually get some time to talk together because I wanted to know more about her story. I wanted you guys to get more about her story. You've seen her everywhere. That clip you just heard was from one of her many appearances on Dr. Oz as she's talking about the perils of artificial sweeteners. She's been on every major network, all of them. You name it, she's been there. And for me to get time to talk to this woman, I felt not only, it was not only my pleasure, I felt honestly blessed to be able to do it. And a cool little side note about this. I actually did the interview, as you will hear, sitting in her doctor's office, in one of the examination rooms. You know how when you go to the doctor and you sit on that little table and you prop your feet up? Yeah. Picture the podcast studio going on the road and being set up in a doctor's office. These are the things I do for y'all. Hope you, I hope you at least can appreciate what I'm putting in for you. Without further ado... We jump in the Wayback Machine and head back a few weeks, but it's still very pertinent to do it right now. Here's my interview with the good doctor herself, Dr. Jennifer Caudill. This is episode 90 of the People's Podcast, and this is JSC Radio. Let's head to the doctor's office. I'm sitting on the on the bed in the, in, in the clinic. I've been in so many of these over the years, I didn't think I'd be doing an interview from here. I'd like to welcome to JSC Radio for episode 90, Dr. Jennifer Caudill.
2: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And thank you for that lovely introduction. I do
0: what I can. I, it's it's so interesting that this is the first time I ne- I've done interviews from interesting places. I've been in locker rooms. I've been on airplanes. I've been in buses. I've never sat in a, in a doctor's office. Never
2: been in a doctor's office. Well, we're actually right now in one of my patient rooms. And yes, you are on the adjustable table that patients sit on. The blood pressure cuff is right next to you, for those of you who are listening. <laughs> He's got an otoscope and all sorts of things. And uh, yeah, so we're we're right here in the I'm, flesh.
0: I'm not used to having shoes on in, in rooms like this. <laughs> right? Once I get on here, I kind of I kind of set up and get comfortable. So I I would it's like, there's so much to say, and I know you've got you don't have a ton of time. But when I first talked to you, it was a couple months back at a previous place I used to work, and you mentioned something that first jumped off the page to me. You're a Midwesterner like I am. You're originally from Iowa. You're a little further out. You're yeah. you're a little further out. I'm even from Michigan. I understand yeah. as soon as I see Iowa. So, tell me about growing up in Iowa. That's yeah. it, you don't see a lot. You don't see a lot of. I lot, like to keep it real. You don't do you don't do see them. a lot of us out in Iowa. So yeah. where in Iowa? What where in Iowa are you from? And what was that like growing up?
2: Well, no, you have a really good point. So I'm from Davenport, Iowa, which is right on the eastern border, about three hours from Chicago, right on the Mississippi River. So right across the river from Illinois. So that's to give you a little perspective. And you're right. There's not a lot of I would say comparatively to other states, right? There's not a lot of black people in Iowa, but the other thing I say to people is, A lot of times, people outside of Iowa never meet Iowans, period. True. I think a lot of times, people in Iowa, you know, we kind of grow up, we're born, raised, we live and we die in the state of Iowa. So I don't always even think it's common just to meet an Iowan, let alone a black Iowan. But I often say, too, that there were more black people in my town growing up in Davenport than I think a lot of people would ever imagine. I mean, I had a really great community of friends. Um, My family, we had friends and people that we grew up in church and things like that. It's a very strong African-American community. So growing up in Iowa was actually was actually quite
0: wonderful. And that's interesting because I'm I'm a I'm a Big Ten guy. I Went to Michigan State. Yeah. So normally when I see Iowa, it's usually Iowa Hawkeyes. And, and the, sadly the joke is is like, are those the only black guys in Iowa? Or are the ones playing <laughs> for Iowa and Iowa State? And I thought about this. Like I have seen some people, who, black people from Iowa. So yeah. I, I know they have. Everyone has their own idea about those of us from the Midwest. Now being from Detroit, it's slightly different because we're yeah. seeing big city, but. You're no more than thirty minutes outside of farmland and open areas and everything else in Michigan. What is what was life like growing up out there in Iowa, especially knowing that part of, having driven through that area, Illinois sure. before and knowing that region, it's a different sure. it's a different life compared to being here closer yeah. to a city like Philadelphia.
2: You know, it is a different life. And I think that one of the biggest differences that I I think back on now versus what I see in other parts of the country was many ways life was just slower. Now granted, you know, I was growing up uh, 30, 40 years ago, so it's not, you know, maybe things have changed certainly, but the thing about it is, I still think the pace is just different. And I have to be honest with you, you know, the people, there's something about a Midwestern sort of friendliness a Midwestern smile. Um, yeah, maybe we're a little bit trusting, I think I am. Uh, I don't <laughs> know if that's from Iowa or if that, that's just who I am. It's
0: a bit of a Michigan thing too, I can <laughs> it's, tell you that.
2: Yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's a little bit of a sort of a trusting nature, I think, to the people in Iowa and also a giving nature I mean there's you know I I sometimes feel in other parts of the country that people meet each other with a little bit of skepticism first like what do you want or what are you doing or what do you need or what do you what do you want from me I feel like in Iowa there's a little bit of a difference where oh how can I help you what do you you welcome (laughs) come on in of course I don't want to generalize and say that it's absolutely like that but but there is something about Iowa that people are friendly the people are kind the people are open Um, and I think, in some ways, more progressive than I think others might actually realize.
0: There is there is that misconception that it is very and and occasionally yes, depending on where in the Midwest it can be slightly different. I'm guessing Ohio is a little bit different from Michigan, which is different from. Indiana and Illinois, Wisconsin, that whole region of the country, when you get out there, it is different. And it is very different. The first, it was like a culture shock, a bit of a culture shock to me, when I moved east three, four years ago, where I had been kind of conditioned to think that you're east coast, you're gonna be rude, they're gonna be rude. They're not bad people out here, but they're caught off guard when they see somebody smiling or they're a little friendlier or have a friendlier nature than that, well, where are you from? Well, originally I'm from Michigan. Ah, that explains it. Ah, And it's the same thing, it's like, you're from from the heartland of America. Before I get into what led you to medicine, Prior to this, you were also in, now I wanna make sure, was it Miss USA or Miss America? It was Miss America. You were Miss America.
2: I, I was not Miss America, but I was you were in the, the you Miss You
0: were in the Miss America pageant, yes. and I know that recently just passed, actually. Yeah, so what, yeah. what was that like for you? What, what first drew you to pageant life, I guess, before you became, obviously, before you become doctor?
2: Sure, well, so I was Miss Iowa. I was Miss Iowa in 1999, and that's another thing I think people don't actually even think of Iowa, and I was Miss Iowa as an African American, and interestingly enough, I was not the first black woman to be Miss Iowa. Really? The first black Miss Iowa was Miss Iowa, 19, I think it was 1970. Oh, wow. Her name was Cheryl Brown. She was the first African American to compete at Miss America, and she came from Iowa. And I, that's one of the things I say when I mention when I mm-hmm. Iowa being remarkably progressive. I think in ways that people don't understand. Um, our Miss Iowa this year, who competed in Miss America, was also um, uh, you know of African American descent. We've had five women of color, wow. black women, identifying as black women, being Miss Iowa over the years. And and not many states actually can say that. And we're from Iowa. I so.
0: can't I can't think of Michigan being one of them. I I it's funny you bring that up. A former my former trainer is Carol Gist, who's the first black woman to win Miss USA. Oh, wow. I didn't know that about her because I just knew she was this woman who just wore me out. And she's like, "You don't know who she is?" <laughs> well, no, and I went and actually googled, her and it's like, "Wow!" You're like, oh my gosh. Like, this she, and she's so matter of fact and chill about it. And it's, right. it's a I think people the often the misconception about women in pageant life is oh you're just these pretty women who and you and they do the whole mocking of them. Oh well, I have a platform that this but sure? no. A lot of women who are in these pageants are incredibly intelligent, very well, obviously as I'm sitting in front of you right now, very well accomplished. Yeah. What drew you to medicine of, well, of all the different things? What drew you to medicine? Well,
2: Medicine was actually my first love and you know, to speak a little bit about, about pageants and medicine, I didn't do my first pageant until I was 20 years old. Really? I was already at Princeton. I was a sophomore at Princeton. I had gone home. I was going home for Easter and Christmas breaks and stuff from college. I was in Iowa at church, and this woman in, at church said, hey, have you thought about doing the Miss America system? It's scholarship money. You know, Miss America, people don't understand, is the world's largest scholarship organization for women. They don't know that. And I needed money to pay for college and to, you know, for, for all of this. I mean, my parents were teachers. So I actually got involved as a 20-year-old my first time um, for the scholarship money. And over the course of my pageant career, I would say that with air quotes, <laughs> I've only done four pageants. That's That was all. And it was really for scholarship and, and things like that. You know, I think that my dream of becoming a physician started a lot younger. You know, my family physician um, who took care of my family at home in Iowa, he was an African-American physician. And he was amazing because he did, like, house calls. He would show up in the middle of the night. Like, and we, doctors, we're not like that anymore.
0: This is really old school because we're both, I'm guessing we're both around the same yeah, age. And yeah. I, I probably maybe by the early 90s. I don't even remember hearing too many doctors oh, no. making house calls anymore. No,
2: house calls have really kind of gone by the wayside. And I'm, I'm an associate professor at Rowan University and I'm a family physician and I, I teach here. In our department, we have some family physicians that do house calls and geriatricians who do them. But I would say that it's it's really sort of a lost art. And he would show up in the middle of the night when my brother was having an asthma attack or um, you know anything that we needed. And it was so amazing to see him kind of come over and pull out his doctor bag and all of his tools and things like that, it was inspiring. And to find out and, and I think he was one of my earlier role models. So that's what really kind of shaped my idea. I just thought it was super cool what he was able to do.
0: And when you talk about that, because I, I my first doctor was Indian and I and I, I actually was, I think I was 17 the first time I saw a black doctor and yeah. actually I would see it on TV yeah. but in, but in real in, life in, in, real minutes, life, in yeah. person, I had just not seen any black doctors. They were they were white. They were Chinese, a lot of Indian I mean, I still when I go back to Michigan, I've, my mother ran into him. he was my pediatrician so many years ago. Really? I think his daughter is now a, now a doctor too. That's amazing. And there but you just don't see too many black doctors. No. And well, why is that? What do, do you think that is that you don't see as I mean there's more now, but you don't see you, you don't see as many as there could be.
2: Well you know I mean this is how I feel in so many so many fields, right? I feel like we I wish there were more black engineers, more black scientists, more black. Well, more black everything.
1: <laughs> more <laughs>
0: black journalists. We, mean, we well, always use more black, mean, black journalists. I
2: mean, you know, the, you know, the, the thing about it is, there's we probably all, in terms of our professions, have similar stories. There's, of course, a lot of reasons why, you know, we don't have the same numbers of black physicians as we do uh, people of other races. I think the biggest thing is to encourage young people to get involved and to strive and to reach for their dreams and to work hard, study hard, look for opportunities and, and for the rest of us who are around young people to help provide opportunities and to help, it. you know, mentorship is big. I mean, I, I, I'm guessing you being a journalist, you might have had a similar experience with me in medicine. There were so many black physicians and non-black physicians that were the people who kind of really picked me up when I, when I felt like I was down, that said, hey, no, keep going, you can do this, when I thought I couldn't. Uh, who said, hey, have you heard about this program, this summer camp, this scholarship, when I didn't know. People that literally took me by the hand at times and led me to the path that I really wanted to go on. So, you know, this is, I think, a word to myself and for so many of us, we need to make sure that we're reaching back and helping others, um, you know, kind of do some of the things that we knew that we wanted to do and we know others do as well.
0: I think that's the thing about uh, Jennifer that really jumped out to me, is how gracious she is and how grounded she is in terms of that she didn't forget how she got to where she is effectively. She didn't forget where she came from, and she's always out here trying to do her best to reach back and help others. You see it all the time, and if you happen to follow her, it's at Dr. Jen Caudill on Twitter, for example. You'll see that. I'll get all her social media information out later. But coming up after this break, we go more into what Dr. Jen does, and that's focus on your health. So we'll talk about what we, and you know what I mean by we, need to do to get better and take better care of ourselves. Plus, I kind of get in her ear a little bit about what it is that she feels she has gained from being a quote-unquote TB doctor. My name is Jay Scott Smith, and this is the 90th episode of The People's Podcast. This is jsc radio and we'll be back with more with dr jennifer caudle after this you're listening to the people's podcast
1: i'm not gonna be responsible for what happens next
0: this is j s c radio it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win
2: The American Red Cross urgently needs blood and platelet donations and asks donors to schedule an appointment to give now. Every two seconds, someone in the United States needs blood. Your blood donation is critical and can help save lives. Please schedule an appointment today. Download the Blood Donor app, visit redcrossblood.org, or call 1-800-RED-CROSS-TODAY. You can make a difference.
1: So, you know, I'm a dog. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org.
0: You're listening to The People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio.
1: We want to bring in family physician Dr. Jennifer Cottle to talk more about this. So, uh, doctor, do they say, the parents, that religion is involved with their belief system, therefore they're out of having to do this, having to get vaccinated? Well, that's sometimes the thinking and the theory behind those
2: who observe religious exemptions and who request them. Certainly that may not be the motive for everyone, because certainly everybody's different. But the idea here is that there are people who do um, choose to be exempt from getting vaccines for different reasons, religious or otherwise. The the most important thing is that point, regardless of Mm -hmm. the reason, because when a child or an adult is not vaccinated, it puts them at risk for getting disease. And that's
1: exactly what we're seeing here. And and that's what the problem is. And when I think of the chickenpox, I think of something back in the 80s that every child got before the vaccination uh, was created. So could this spread to various cities, various schools? Or if you're vaccinated, of course, you're not going to get it or is there a slight risk? Well, so, you know, you bring up a lot of amazing points. And I think the first of, of
2: that is that we do have a vaccine against the chicken pox virus. Mm-hmm. That's first and foremost. It's a two uh, dose vaccine given at 12 to 15 months and then four to six years old, typically. So we do have a vaccine. But you're right that back in the 80s, and I remember when I was a child, we didn't have a chicken pox vaccine. We just mm-hmm. all got the chicken pox from each right. other. We have that vaccine now. And that's so important. But to your point, which was the other part of your question, what could happen now when children are not vaccinated against chicken Pox. In this case, that seems to be the case. It's ripe for spreading. And remember, there are a lot of people potentially at high risk for chicken pox. I think a lot of people think chicken pox, oh, no big deal. You just get it, you get mm-hmm. over it. But think about little babies or pregnant women or people with mm-hmm. weakened immune systems. Getting the chicken pox could be downright deadly. So this is not something that we just want children to get. We want them to be vaccinated to avoid getting it.
0: And I'll take this moment because Jennifer is far too gracious and far too classy of an individual to say this but i'm sure as hell not vaccinate your damn kids period vaccinate your damn kids she was saying that in a very professional manner there in the clip that we got courtesy of cnn's headline news but yeah uh vaccinate your damn kids don't make a difference what it is vaccinate your kids it works trust me have you seen anyone walking around here with polio or smallpox lately Vaccinate your damn kids. That's a public service announcement from those of us here at the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. You're listening to episode 90 of the show. I want to thank you once again for subscribing to the show across all different podcast providers, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, there's SoundCloud and Stitcher, Google Play and TuneIn, Audio Boom, Radio Public, iHeart Radio, Spotify, Player FM, and anywhere else you get your podcast. Shout out to my man, Doc Illingsworth, whose music you heard bringing us in from the break. And we're about to head back out to continue this interview I did with Dr. Jennifer Caudill, and we'll pick it up talking about some of the numerous things that she does, aside from being a legit doctor, seeing patients as she does at Rowan University in South Jersey, she also works as a teacher. And, of course, she does the numerous TV hits, whether it's in New York, Philly, wherever she needs to go, she's there. So as I continue to talk to Jen, we, we brought this up. How on earth does a woman who does so many things how can she balance all this? How is she able to get the job done? Well, we talk about that and so much more as we continue the interview with Dr. Jennifer Caudill right here on the 90th episode of The People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Let's head back to the doctor's office. And you mentioned you, are a profet- you're not- you-, you have so many hats and one of those is here at Rowan University where we're doing this interview right Great. now. Great. Before I go even into the TV aspect of it, what led you to teach? Because so many, people, especially as accomplished as you are, what led you to go on to that end? Is it, is it the feeling that you want to give back more and kind of help, help others a, along the way here?
2: Well, my parents are teachers, so I actually grew up in like a teaching household. You know, I, I, my brother and I, we used to talk, we used to call it school talk. You know, around the dinner table, my parents would talk about what happened at school that day. They would talk about my dad. My dad was a principal. My mother was a music teacher, and then later became a guidance counselor. And there was so much talk about education and educational programs. My my parents are retired now, but still, when they see a yellow school bus driving <laughs> down the street, you you would be you'd be amazed at how excited they get. They say, "Oh, Esther, there's a there's a school. Oh, what is it? Oh, elementary." They get so excited about you know school. So I grew up with this enthusiasm. Um, about education. So, it made a lot of sense for me even becoming a doctor that I wanted to to factor teaching in with it. it. It wasn't even a really decision. It was just there was really no other option for me. I've only been in teaching and faculty positions since I graduated from residency because it made the most sense.
0: It it's amazing to funny how you bring that up. My mother taught for almost 40 years in Detroit. Yeah. She taught high school, elementary school. And Certain times of the year, it's still because she retired maybe 10 years ago and certain times of year still trigger certain things there where when it gets around the middle of June and she says, this is the end of this there. You can tell this is the end of school year because it's she feels it or even a couple or even going back to early September is like, yeah, yeah, it's that time of year because I still even though she's been gone for, oh, it's actually 14 years now she still gets this itch to go back to a classroom. She, it's she, still there. She
2: feels, it because it was, and I, I get that. She, it's it's still part, of, very much a part of who she is. I can understand that.
0: And you still, and and you have that. You're able to balance all this out. Now, you do television. This is the first time I saw you, you were on TV, and I would see you on TV locally here in Philadelphia, but you do national stuff as well. What, how did, how did you get your first spot on TV, and what, Drew you to kind of being the TV doctor because there's misconceptions like, oh she's just a doctor on TV. It's like, no, she's actually a doctor who just happens to be on TV television. On TV, yeah. And there is a difference there.
2: Well, I do think there is a difference. I am a practicing physician, so I see patients. In fact, the reason why we're doing the interview here in my office is because I'm starting office hours, you know, in the next thirty minutes or so. So thank you for coming to my office to meet me here. I, I'm doing night hours tonight. Actually.
0: I aim to please. Yeah, so. I'm I'm more than accommodating.
2: Yeah, I really appreciate it. But yeah, no, I am a practicing doctor and um I've always felt like, in my adult life being on TV, that if I'm gonna talk about health on TV, I think it's important to do it. Um, and And I love that about being on television and talking about the latest studies and the latest things because I'm seeing them really on a day-to-day basis, so it really informs what I do. Um, I think I got interested in media work when I was Miss Iowa, because as Miss Iowa, you know, I didn't win the title of Miss America, even though I really wanted it. As Miss America or Miss State, we call it Miss Iowa, you really travel around being an ambassador for different causes and you speak at schools and at companies and corporations and there's a lot of sort of um, communications work involved in that. And it was during that year when I came back to the state of Iowa and I worked for a year as Miss Iowa. I traveled 5,000 miles every month by car to schools, to, you know, um, company openings, ribbon cutting, you name it. I mean, I was in cornfields. I did everything. I really learned how much I loved communicating. And my dream was always to become a doctor, but I had this second itch. I said, well, how can I mix communication? with being a doctor and it it seemed perfect because I can talk to people about health. And it's, and I would say this, you know, before I wrap up this answer is that, you know, when I see a patient in this office, you know, you're in my office right now, one of the office rooms, you see the computer, the sink, the gloves, all the stuff here, Mm -hmm. I can only see one or two patients at a time, not two, if it's a husband and wife or a parent and a child, but I only see one patient at a time. When I go on television or on the radio, I literally get to speak to millions. that's
0: amazing and what is that what is that like that experience like because i've seen you on the doctors and i've seen you do everything from fox news abc it's like it does not matter the network sure yeah i do a lot
2: of networks how
0: do how are you able to balance that while also seeing patients i guess what's a look at your kind of the, the balance of yeah. The, of work to media to just live in your normal life?
2: Well, honestly, sometimes the balance is not that great. I, I'll be the first one to admit that I'm not the best at staying balanced, although it's always a work in progress and I always strive for better. Um, but I'm usually seeing patients about two days per week, um, two-ish days a week I see patients. I teach a course for medical students, um, one day a week roughly. Um, and then the other times during the week, the other roughly two, one and a half days, I'm doing media work. Sometimes my schedule has to flip flop or change, Um, like even this morning, even though um, on Mondays, for example, I only work at night. I actually had some media things to do this morning. And so I was doing some videos, some health videos. Mm -hmm. Um, So really, it's 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 a lot of things. Uh, Sometimes there's weekend uh, work. I do public appearances. I'm speaking this weekend at, uh, at a health fair, for example. So I think that's one of the things I love about the job. I love about what I do is that every day is different. There's no two days are alike, I can tell you that.
0: It's a new adventure every day. It is. And you, it is. It's a new adventure and you learn something new every day.
2: Every
0: single day. I, and you mentioned talking about health. I'd be remiss if I didn't sit in front of you and actually ask you a couple of questions sure, about health. you
2: need to. I, I have,
0: that, that's why you're here. I, I I look at the state of our health as black people. As it's sure. always different because we have so many different health issues that stand out from the rest of the population. As a doctor, and not only as a black doctor, I'm sure you see black people, white people, whatever, but when you see us come in this room, what are some of the most pressing things that we need to work on in terms of our health? And then I'll bring it back to a point that was made when we, the last time I talked to you, because there's something else on that end that I really wanna get to too.
2: I would say the biggest thing is um, honestly making sure that we are seeing the doctor regularly. I think that's the start to really everything. Um, Sometimes I do see patients who only come in when they're sick or they only come in once every year or year and a half or maybe they know they're supposed to come in every three or four months for diabetes checks and things like that and it doesn't quite happen. I would say the first thing, and this is honestly not just for black patients and black people, um, but I would say this is for everything, but especially as an African-American woman, I mean, I, you know, I have a vested interest in my in my people. And, um, you know, in my patients, I see my own family. I see, I see my aunts and uncles and grandparents in my patients, you know. So it's really important to me. I'd say getting to the doctor is one of the most important things. I would say something else I think is really important is that sometimes I see ideas about health that, are not entirely beneficial. I
0: I think I know where you're going and that's actually kind of the second part of it. There's, in the black community, for those who are probably listening, most of my listeners are black anyway, so y'all probably know where I'm going with this. There are misconceptions about doctors and our health. Some of that is based on historical issues like the the Tuskegee Tuskegee. experiments and that has lingered and the stuff going back to slavery and everything else. But then there are a lot of misconceptions, conspiracy theories, all this weird, there's weird stuff out there too. As a doctor, someone who sees this firsthand, how do you handle it if you run into a patient who doesn't trust Doctors, because yeah. I know a few. I know a few brothers who need to be in a doctor's office right. who refuse to go to doctors. I, I, can't, trust right. I can't trust them. I can't trust them. About the Tuskegee, especially, like the only history thing they ever, the only lesson they ever picked up in a history class is Tuskegee, sure. and they stick to that. Sure. What are people? What do you what do say do when do you? Because yeah. I'm sure you've run into a I, few of them.
2: I do, and um, and I would say that you know things like Tuskegee, and there are very likely a whole lot of other things going on that we do and don't know about, I understand the skepticism that many people and many of us have. I, I understand it. I think where I try to go with my patients or people that I'm trying to encourage to get to the doctor is that um, what, we, what, I, what I think we need to do is to never forget, but to move forward in a way that allows us to take advantage of the greatest and some of the best medicine and health options and treatments that are out there the bottom line is there is a lot of great medicine happening and what has happened in the past doesn't mean it's necessarily going to happen in the future in fact I think it's important to talk about this so that it doesn't happen in the future so again I keep I keep going back to that because I think it's really important to validate and to 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 really sort of establish no I'm with you you know I'm right there with you but the thing about it is we have fantastic doctors. We have fantastic black doctors and non-black doctors. We have state-of-the-art medical care. And what I say is if you're blessed enough to have insurance, take advantage of that to really live health to your, to your best and to your brightest and to your best ability. I also say when it comes to finding a healthcare provider, and I think a lot of this has to do with how we as doctors are with our patients. We have a role and a responsibility with this ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. I see patients who are skeptical whether they're black or not all the time. It's not just black people that are skeptical. There's all sorts of people that are, and what I think of it is my duty as a as a physician is to help my patients feel as most comfortable as they possibly can, to meet you where you're at, and to be a partner with your healthcare, not a boss, not a not a not a, a this paternalistic model where I'm telling you you must or else. Um, but really, that we're partners. So what I would encourage for those who are out there who's listening to this saying, yeah, I don't know about these doctors. Hey, I hear you you're not alone but this is why it's especially important for you maybe not even as important to other people to find the right doctor the right doctor who understands how you feel respects how you feel and works with you where you're at because i'll tell you one thing there's nothing worse as a physician than seeing a patient develop breast cancer because they didn't get mammograms or see them get colon cancer because they didn't get colonoscopies or see them have a foot amputated or have them go into kidney failure because they never got treated for their diabetes. There is no reason for that. So whatever issues you have, what I say is I respect them and I hear them. What we have to do is find the right situation for you.
0: And I would, when I I look at, when I see other doctors, I know a few doctors and kind of the the same fear is that more often than not, it's not even that people are simply not healthy enough to battle through something it's that sometimes they just don't know because they just don't go to the doctor. Right.
2: And, that's exactly right because they don't go.
0: And, and you don't go to the doctor and yeah I mean yeah, there's issues with that's another conversation altogether with healthcare costs and sure. everything else and that's and, and those are valid concerns but some of the simplest things are because I've gotten on my dad about this and yeah. about and my dad's almost 70 years old you wouldn't know I'm looking at him but he's almost 70 years old now we have to get on him it's like no you listen to the doctor when he says don't take this or my mom has had surgery recently on her back and we had to be on her about no. You, the doctor told you don't do this. Right. Then just hang, hang tight because she wants to keep wants moving, to and she wants to keep moving. And it's like, well, if, if you if you try to move now, you won't be moving at all. And it's trying to get people to understand the importance of taking care of their health. I'm someone who's I'm almost 40 years old, and I already know that I'm going to be in the position of having to kind of I've already had to work harder to get in a better shape mm-hmm. just in the last three four years. If somebody you're if you're talking to people who are closer to our age and you're 30s, close to 40 years old. What do we need to do better? As, because I'll use myself as an example. I'm six foot about 205, 210 pounds, which is more than I've probably been most of my life. I was usually around 175, 180. So as I've gotten older, it's been tougher. If you're trying to lose weight, you're trying to get back into shape and stay a little bit more active. I've got a bottle of water sitting here off to the side because that's a thing for me, but I know there's more that we can do. So if I or someone else out there, we're showing up at our high school reunions and we're a lot more overweight than we were when we were playing football or baseball. What do we need to do better as we get older? Not just black people, but just in general.
2: Yeah, yeah. you know, I would say that um, weight uh, and sort of, you know, uh, obesity, weight, weight loss, things like that are such big topics for so many reasons. I'm a big believer in small changes. I really, really am. I think that, you know, just like I've had some smokers say they quit smoking by just going cold turkey, I've also had many smokers say it took them many, many tries and small incremental changes to make it work. I think for sometimes diet and weight loss and exercise, that type of thing, often it's a a big lifestyle issue for us. And I find, I'll talk about me personally, I mean, I think it's very natural for people to go up a little bit, up and down with weight. That happens with me. It happens with so many people. But I feel like the small changes make sometimes the biggest differences and helps us be consistent. So with patients, for example, that are trying to lose weight, one of the first things I say is, okay, well, what can you identify that you do or that you eat that you know is really setting you back? Well, you know, I do like to stop by uh, the the such and such and get a a bagel with cream cheese every morning. Okay, well, that's what you like. Well, uh, or I do tend to roll through fast food three times a week or something, or I eat pizza every Tuesday and Thursday, or whatever, whatever your habits are. And what I like to do is starting there, you know, maybe if they drink sodas. I had a patient who uh, drank a lot of regular soda. She would drink, um, you know, seem like she'd go through almost a two-liter bottle almost every day or every two days Jeez. of regular soda. Yeah. Um, and some people buy the cans or what have you. So what we start with and what I recommend is starting by just cutting it down by a fourth or a third. You know, if you're going to, uh, you know, the drive-through and getting your bagel with cream cheese every day of the week, why don't you start doing that only four times a week instead of seven? Okay. Pick your days when you're gonna go, and then the other days have a plan for something a healthier option. And then, after a few weeks, go down to two or three times a, you know, a week. The idea is making small changes. You know, Cutting back that soda from, I don't know, 10 cans to eight cans. It sounds crazy, but the idea is, you gotta start somewhere. Those little changes make a difference. And the things, I, I also like those, I like apps a lot. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of amazing apps. I like MyFitnessPal. For those who are trying to lose weight, Weight Watchers is something, I, I, again, I have no, I, I do not have any affiliations with these companies, I do not you know, make money from them, I do not partner with them. But they are companies that I found that are very helpful with with my patients and so many others. And as physicians in this office, we do recommend things like MyFitnessPal, Weight Watchers, and other apps that help people, whether it's Fitbits or other. So use technology and allow it to help you um, get a few extra steps in the day, small changes. I always say Rome wasn't built in a day and the weight gain that we developed also didn't happen overnight, so you, small changes.
0: You chip it down every day. Yeah, you you yes. don't try to go in and lose 15 pounds in a month or two right. weeks or, or that's something right. absurd like that. Where even, how often would you, cause I try to exercise at least, I try to get in the gym at least three times a week. Yeah depending on the schedule of everything, maybe two, some weeks it might be four. What is the what is the ideal for say someone in their thirties and yeah. you're trying to you're trying to either get more active or stay active.
2: Sure, sure. Well, you know, I think there's different ways of quantifying it. You know, in the past we've said two to three times per week of, you know, thirty minute exercise. I, I tend to be one that I, I, I don't like necessarily saying what people should be doing because I do think it's a little it's different for everyone. For that person that maybe has been on the couch all summer, um, starting a workout plan, maybe I just want them to increase their steps by a thousand steps every other day. Um, I do think there's different ways to measure activity. So I think what's most important is making sure that you get some activity every single day and figure out the metric that works for you. There's some people who really don't like the gym. I'm not actually a gym person myself. It it just doesn't actually make sense for me. I actually have a patient. It's really interesting. She um she didn't like the gym herself, but she really needed to. Um, She really needed to get in shape and she loves reality TV. So what she did was, and I don't know how many other people would be willing to change their living room, but she she bought a stationary bike and she put it in her living room in front of her TV Hmm. so that when she watches her favorite reality shows, she gets on the bike and she pedals. It's a way for her to combine two things and get one thing done that she loves and another thing done that she's not crazy about and kind of keeps it enjoyable for her. So remember, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. And I think that sometimes that's one of the biggest motivators and things to help us is to think outside the box and say, OK, what's going to work for me? Because I don't know. I don't like the gym. or I do like the gym. I, I like playing basketball. Maybe it's playing basketball and getting out on the court again. So I really want people to think about, OK, the biggest thing is just being active. How can I do that that makes me in a way that makes me happy and want to stick with it?
0: And I think I can close this out with this question. And just from the amount of time you've been you've done stuff on T V and you've been done all these different appearances, I guess my last question will be, what is the best experience you feel you've had and what were and what was a more forgettable experience? television appearance you might have had one that even if you even at at first it did seem like oh this wasn't too bad you look back on it was like oh no that was a problem like what what were the best and the the best and the not so best i won't say worst not so best
2: no of course well i would say the best appearances for me are always one where after the fact i hear someone write me on facebook or twitter or instagram and say hey you know i really learned something or hey, you know what, I'm actually gonna get my flu shot this year because of what you said. I've always been afraid of it, I never wanted to get it, but I think I'm gonna do that this year. I'll tell you, nothing warms my heart more than feeling like I've made a difference. That's the best in the world, honestly. I would say some more say forgettable or less desirable appearances. Honestly, or uh, I say have to do more with like technical difficulties and things like that. I just did an appearance for HLN and it was a Skype appearance. This was a couple weeks ago, and um, the audio, you know, it was my I don't know if it was my Wi-Fi or what was going on, but you know, the tracking and the and the audio went out, and then you you couldn't hear me, they couldn't see me, and it's embarrassing when there's technical difficulties. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you. But there have also been appearances where I've gone on shows expecting to talk about one thing, and then the hosts sort of bring up a different angle, or maybe an unexpected angle, that sometimes makes me feel like, oh, I don't know, I didn't plan on this, or I didn't plan on going down this route. Um, and so sometimes you feel, you know, sometimes it gets a little sticky, but, but it also is a wonderful challenge as well. I think the best thing about going on so many different networks is, is being able to do different styles, from going on Fox 29 in Philadelphia and Working with those amazing folks to national television, and really sort of having to be flexible. Um, I, yeah, I, I think that would be it. I, you know, the the hardest is when you're throwing curveballs that you that you didn't. You never really expect curveballs, but the curveballs that you really don't expect, and maybe you are trying to figure out how to navigate. Those are the ones that are sometimes a little bit tougher.
0: I appreciate you taking your time to talk to me because I obviously. Your day is just getting started from what she it looks like. You, How can people find you? They can see you just about everywhere, but how can people find you? How can people reach you if they want to reach out to you on social media, yeah. website? Feel free to give oh, me all yeah. the information you and got.
2: Please find me on social media. I really love hearing from folks. I actually do try to write back, and I write back to most people. Um, so you know if you if you write me, I'll I'll do my best to get back to you. So um, you can visit my website at jennifercoddle.com. Um that's Jennifer jennifercaudl ecom But I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and my um, my uh, link is at Dr. Jencauddle, D-R-J-E-N-C-A-U-D-L E. And I'm also facebook at dr jennifer coddle so you can like my page there uh i'm on snapchat and some of the other ones as well but i would say facebook twitter instagram are the main ones that i use and of course i post my the obligatory selfies as well as the, <laughs> shots, the, action shots and the behind the scenes shots so um yeah so definitely come follow me and, and write me and, and say hello
0: dr jennifer Caudle. i appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and coming on JSC Radio with me. Thank you so much for your time. This has been this has been wonderful and it's it's interesting that this is maybe the the coolest setup I've had to do of any podcast interview I've done. Is setting up in here. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you. And there you have it. Another interview in the books. I will say this for as tumultuous a year as I have had personally and professionally. This podcast has grown by leaps and bounds this year. And it's been due in large part to me being able to somehow finagle the bagel and get some amazing interviews. And you can add Dr. Jennifer Caudill to the list. She gave you her social media information. I will also drop it down there in the description on this podcast. I want to thank Jennifer so much for being so gracious and so giving of her time, especially that day, because she literally started seeing patients the second I got my crap and walked out of her office. She is about that business and be on the lookout for it. She was just on Dr. Oz the other day talking about alkaline water. She really is out here in these medical and TV streets. My name is Jay Scott Smith, telling you to take care of yourself. God bless always there to be different always have your pets spayed or neutered or neutered whichever adopt don't buy and we are out of here you guys have done so much for me and helped keep me above water and I have nothing but the greatest amount of thanks for you so until next time because there is episode 91 and damn it we're gonna have some fun because i gotta take my football team to task and i'm not talking about michigan state episode 91 we we go lion hunting it's time it's that time of year once again but until then goodbye everybody You're listening to The People's Podcast. And we swagger when we walk, because by God, we can. This is JSC Radio.
2: I heard on the news about that five-year-old who found his uncle's gun. The kid didn't know it was loaded.
1: I heard on the news about that 14-year-old girl who was bullied online for like a year. She couldn't take it anymore, so she got her dad's gun from his nightstand the news about that guy who broke into someone's house, stole a gun from the hall closet. He accidentally shot his cousin in the head. She killed herself. And later, killed the owner of the store he was trying to rob. If you own a gun, you have a full-time responsibility. When you aren't using it, be sure it can't get into the hands of curious children, troubled teenagers, a thief, or anyone else who might misuse it. Your family, friends, and neighbors are all counting on you. Remember. Always lock it up. For more information on firearm storage safety, visit ncpc.org. This message brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, and the Ad Council.